Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. The Gist is brought to you by Sherry's Berries. Fresh berries dipped in chocolate starting at just $19.99 are a great holiday gift. Order now and use the promo code GIST to double your berries for just $10 more. That's B-E-R-R-I-E-S dot com. Click on the microphone at the top right corner and use the code GIST. And by Bonobos. Bonobos takes the pain and hassle out of finding stylish clothes that fit. For a limited time, all new customers can get 20% off their first order at bonobos.com slash GIST. That's B-O-N-O-B-O-S dot com slash GIST. Discover the difference that an expertly crafted, better-fitting wardrobe can make. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Monday, December 21st, 2015 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Spanish elections, not straightforward, opaque, unclear. But here's what I take away. The winners are the popular party, the party popular, but not popular enough because they cannot form a coalition government. The socialists won a lot of seats. They're not going to form a coalition, not very socialist of them. A couple of upstart parties did well. So they are talking about all those other parties banding together. And here's where my antenna were raised and forming a coalition of the losers. Los ciudadanos no votamos para que los para que nos gobierne una coalición de perdedores. Una coalición perdedores. I love the coalition of the losers. Oh, if only the Republicans could get over their own egos. Maybe Lindsey Graham could have stayed in. Be one of the coalición perdedores. You'd need more than just Lindsey. You'd need like eight, nine, maybe ten of them. But still, you could overcome Trump. Wait, isn't the AFC East kind of a coalition of the losers? Yes, band geeks, theater geeks, lots of you Dungeons and Dragons guys. You're not outcasts. You're not pariahs. You're part of the... Coalición Perdedores, take your rightful mantle, earn your respect, and rule Spain. Or at least stick to the Dungeons and Dragons with a little more confidence. On the show today, I give you the one spoiler that will spoil all. It is about The Force Awakens. But first, while it has been said that hokey religions and ancient weapons are no match for a good blaster at your side, I talked to a researcher who says a concealed carry blaster permit might bring down the overall crime rate. More blasters, less crime is sort of a version of his theory. Or maybe that's just what the both and spies want you to believe. Christmas is just a couple days away. You're still looking for the perfect gift that everyone will love. Every, every berry-loving American. Give Sherry's Berries. They're sweet. They're freshly dipped strawberries. They start at $19.99, which is a 40% savings. Fresh, juicy, dipped in chocolate, white, and milk chocolatey deliciousness. Sprinkled with decadent toppings like chocolate chips and chopped nuts. Hey, you want to double the berries? Yeah, it won't, won't cost you double the money. It will cost you half the money that was already a savings. I did the math once a few episodes ago. Anyway... It's a large savings. You could double the berries for $10 more. To get the deal, go to berries.com and use the special code GIST. The berries come in a package that stay fresh. It's fun to open the package. If you can't get them there by Christmas, 
you know, give them for New Year's. Everyone loves a berry. The only way to get the amazing offer is to visit Sherry's Berries. They start at $19.99. Visit berries.com, B-E-R-R-I-E-S.com. Click on the microphone at the top right-hand corner and type in gist. Go to berries.com, click on the microphone, and type in gist. Order today. So on this show, you know my opinions about gun control. I say that if even some of it can be done and if we could lower gun deaths by 10%, we're talking about thousands of people saved. But I, of course, like to question my assumptions. And sometimes, and in this space before, I've gone one by one through some of the common arguments against gun control. Now, there's one that comes up quite often. The only thing that will stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. And I wondered, well, does that happen? How often does that happen? And it turns out it does. And I wasn't the only one wondering, a uh, blogger and a uh, law professor named Eugene Volokh, who did or does the Volokh Conspiracy blog affiliated with the Washington Post, started gathering up a bunch of examples where an armed citizen stopped a shooter, possibly a would-be mass shooter. In many cases, we don't know. And I do have to say, a few of these were really underreported, like the one in Chicago earlier this year where an Uber driver with a concealed carry permit shot and wounded a gunman who opened fire on a crowd of people. This was but a blurb in the Chicago media, and it seemed like the biggest question there is, would the Uber driver be charged? He wasn't, but then Uber issued a statement saying our drivers could no longer carry guns. But there weren't hundreds of examples. What examples there were in assisting Volokh was a place called the Crime Prevention Research Center, and the president of the Crime Prevention Research Center is a famous, let's say, pro-gun researcher. His name is John Lott. His most famous book is More Guns less crime, and he's with me now. Hello, John Lott. Uh, Great to talk to you. It is, of course, harder to document how often a shooter wounds someone who could have become a mass shooter, harder to document that than to document a mass shooter. But do we have any idea how often a good guy with a gun does stop a bad guy with a gun? Right. Well, yeah, Eugene was basically using a list that we had put together on our website. And, uh, we pretty much limited ourselves to cases where either the police department, a sheriff, or a prosecutor said that multiple lives would have been lost if it wasn't for the presence of the concealed carry permit holder. The amazing thing, as you point out, is that you have some amazing cases here, and some of them you even have on video. (laughs) And yet, you're lucky to find one local news story on these cases. You know, one can only wonder how many of these cases occur. You would think, and I even tried when some of these cases came out to get national media interested in them. And uh, I'd get comments back from editors saying, well, it'd just be political for us to go and uh, go and give news coverage to this. So there was one case a few months ago in Georgia, in Conyers, Georgia, where um, a man came into a store, started shooting people, killed two of the people that were there in the store, permit holder was walking by on the outside, came in, exchanged fire with the uh, the killer there, and the killer ran out of the store. And the sheriff said that there was absolutely no doubt in his mind that uh, if the permit holder hadn't come in, there would have been a lot more deaths because this killer would have just kept on going through the store systematically killing people. There was actually video of this. And I thought, boy, this is going to be the perfect thing. I mean, this is something that's going to get this national news attention. I couldn't get anybody 
any national news editors uh, to be interested in the story. So how many of those did you document? We have about 30 cases over the last six, seven years or so. Right. So since there are over 300 mass shootings, though, that seems like no, a no, small no. number to me. No. Well, first of all, uh, I there's this claim that there's a mass shooting a day, if that's what you're referring to. No, I'm referring uh, to the 353 mass shootings in 2015. So it's an average right, of more okay. than one a day. You have to understand, when I talk about mass public shootings, I'm using the definition that the FBI uses, which is four or more people killed in a public place, not involving something like a gang fight over drug turf. Okay? Right. The website MassShootings.com just documents every time more than one person was shot. Right, okay, but most of those are woundings. The vast majority of those cases are woundings. And the vast majority of them also are like involving drug gangs. And drug gangs are important. They're an important part of violence in the, in the United States and something we should be concerned about. But I think the causes and solutions to them are dramatically different than the causes and solutions to mass public shootings generally, the type of case where somebody's going to a public place in order just to kill people or wound them for the sake of killing and wounding them, as opposed to going and trying to take over somebody else's drug turf. Okay, I want to ask you about More Guns, Less Crime. When was the first edition of that book? came out in 1998. 98. And you update it. Right. It's third edition came out in 2010. Has, in the updated editions, or as you've been researching it, do you find any exceptions to that rule? And, and as you answer, please state what the general thesis of the book is. Right, sure. Well, the notion is, is just as you can deter criminals with higher arrest rates or higher conviction rates, the fact that would-be victims might be able to defend themselves also make it riskier for criminals to go and commit crimes. And what the book primarily focuses on, it looks at 13 different types of gun control, but the main one we focus on there is uh, the passage of concealed carry laws. And uh, right now, there's about 13 million Americans, or at least earlier this year, who have concealed carry permits. And what, what you find is that as the percentage of adults in a state with concealed carry permits rise, uh, you see drops in violent crime. You see drops in violent crime relative to drops in property crime. You see differences across different types of violent crime. Um, mass public shootings fall relative to murders. And you see differences, even if you compare adjacent counties on opposite sides of state borders, the counties in the state where right to carry law was passed sees a drop in murder and violent crime at the same time. The counties immediately across the border in states that at that time didn't have concealed carry would see about an increase in violent crime that was equal to about 20 percent of the drop that you saw in the state with the law. Now, are you saying this is true for the United States, which is a country with lots of guns? And so at this point, it doesn't make sense to ban guns. But is it also true for countries like Japan and Scotland that have no guns? Well, Japan had no guns ever, pretty much. And Scotland got rid of their guns. It seems there they have no guns, very low crime. There are lots of reasons why different places have different levels of crime anyway. England is a particularly fascinating place, and that is... Uh, you go back to, like, before their first gun control laws in 1920, and you'll find years where you'll have two gun murders in London. I mean, so guns are extremely widely owned, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, 
and no gun control restrictions. And I can't even get my head around the fact that you can have a city of 8 million people and have two gun murders or have five armed robberies. That's before they had any gun control. And in fact, what you've seen after the three major gun control laws that they had in 1920, 1956, and 1997 has been increases in violent crime and murders after those laws went into effect. I'm not gainsaying your history, but they had 640 murders last year. This is a country of 65 million people. Los Angeles has more. One city in the United States has more murders than that. I would trade. But the point is, if before they, they had any gun control laws, they had an even lower murder rate. Or even before the 97 ban on handguns, they had this extremely low murder rate. Well, what can you tell me about Australia? Because this wasn't a crime-free place before their gun ban. And it's much touted, as you know, their assault weapons ban brought down deaths. What do you know about that? Well, they had a big gun buyback in 96 and 97, which reduced the number of legally owned guns in the country by about a third. What's usually not talked about then is that people went back out, bought guns, and the gun ownership rate by 2010 had gone back to the level it had been before the gun buyback. Now, what's often touted is the drop in either firearm suicides or gun homicides after the, uh, the gun buyback. The thing is, with firearm suicides, for example, they were falling for about 15 years prior to the buyback. They continued to fall afterwards at exactly the same rate. The st- it's not a statistically significant difference in the rate of decline. But it is true that they've, even though mass shootings are but a tiny portion of killings, they do tend to appall us. It is true that they've avoided mass shootings since then, right? At least that has worked. I don't know what you want to do looking at one country. If you look at New Zealand, which didn't change its laws at the time, but is fairly similar in many ways, they also haven't had one mass shooting afterwards, and they had an even higher mass public shooting rate uh, prior to uh, uh, 96 and 97. So they also fell at the same time. I, I know that you have uh, as fought over a reputation as anyone in academia, but I like to always hear from people that I might think I disagree with and hear what they have to say to set me straight. So I want to thank you. Oh, sure. No, I appreciate your time. And if people want to find anything more on the points that we've been talking about, they can go to our website at crimeresearch.org. John Lott, president of Crime Prevention Research Center. Thank you. Thank you very much. Everyone wants to look his best. I know I do. But few want to put in the effort to maintain a stylish wardrobe. I know I do. Enter Bonobos. Bonobos takes the pain and hassle out of finding stylish clothes that fit for any body type, any fit preference. You can easily browse online. There's free and easy shipping and returns, personable and fast service. And there's this thing that I'm going to. There are these guide shops in major cities. There are more than 20 of them, and it's just stores with the clothes. So the stuff that you buy online, if you live in a large city or near a large city, as I said, there are over 20 of them. I think there are three or four in New York. You go to a guide shop. There are people there who tell you what are the best clothes for you. You can buy the clothes there. You can order online. A full line of stylish men's clothing, meticulously crafted for a better fit. 
like pants and jeans and jackets, ties, belts, shoes, golf clothes. You could look stylish and feel comfortable. You could say, I want slim fit, I want standard fit. If you're a tall guy, go for that. For a limited time, all new customers get 20% off their first order when they go to bonobos.com. Just, I'm going to spell it, B-O-N-O-B-O-S dot com slash gist to discover the difference that an expertly crafted, better fitting wardrobe can make. And now the spiel, Star Wars, our faith unshaken. Saw the Star Wars movie, and I do not want to spoil it. No spoilers. Okay, so there's this new Star Wars movie. Damn it, I just spoiled it. Right? Because I mentioned Star Wars. Remember Star Wars? 1977? George Lucas directed? You saw it, right? Well, knowing that spoils the new movie. The new one is the same thing as Star Wars. Same structure, same archetype, same subtlety. Desert planet, lovable droid, hotshot pilot, orphan good with the force, bad guy in a mask, struggle internally. Yes, 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 and yes. It is pretty hard not to spoil Star Wars The Force Awakens when the words Star Wars spoils The Force Awakens. I love the movie. Of course I did because J.J. Abrams is brilliant and he has made a movie with one giant flaw. But here's the secret. No one in the potential audience will see the flaw. This movie is not billed as a remake or a reboot, but this faithful advancement of the original. So the people who like it are the people who are really familiar with the original and the people who will love its faithfulness. Another group that will like it are little kids who are really unfamiliar with the original. Maybe they saw it once, but they haven't had it baked into their DNA. And they might say things like, huh, a super weapon that could kill entire planets. That is a neat plot device. I wonder where they came up with that. But all the people who would really hate this movie, the people who say, yeah, you know, I don't really like Star Wars movies. They're right. They will not like this movie. This movie will not compel them insofar as the movie is the same movie as that movie that was made in 1977. This is not an insignificant group of people, and they would be able to see the gaping flaw in this movie, but there is no chance they'll ever attend the movie, right? It's like an inaccurate portrait of Mohammed. No one who would know that will be willing to look at it? Or what if I held myself out as the world's most accurate impressionist of sounds that only dogs can hear? Maybe right, maybe wrong, but since only dogs know, you couldn't check me on it. Lots of movies, lots of cultural products do the thing where they market themselves as, hey, you might not think you like documentaries, or you didn't even realize you liked klezmer music, or the thinking man's whodunit, you know? We know this category of thing is not for you, but this is the version of the category of thing that is for you. Star Wars does not buy into that at all. There is no effort to say, well, if you're not interested in Star Wars, and I guess that's because the movie studio looked at the demographics and say, well, we see the list of people who are interested in Star Wars, and we see the list of people who are not interested in Star Wars, and we would much rather market to the people who are interested in Star Wars. I've seen the box office figures. You probably have too at this point. It set all sorts of records. It made more than half a billion dollars in its opening weekend, more than half of that in the United States. And so I guess the studio, J.J. Abrams, all the people involved, looked at that tiny minority of people And the studios do not care about them. The studios are avoiding them like one would avoid a Tauntaun's innards. I thought they smelled bad on the outside. So everyone who watched the movie was just thrilled that there is a star thing that rains death 
on the populace. What will they think of next? What would they think of before? So here's where I get into the spoilers. Though, didn't Star Wars already get into the spoilers? In Star Wars, they had to blow up the Death Star. Return of the Jedi, they had to blow up the Death Star. In this movie, they have to blow up the Death Star. Sorry, sorry, no. They have to blow up Star Killer Base. There are some huge differences between the Death Star and Star Killer Base. Yes, Death Killer, pretty much the same word. Star is in both of them. But I would like to point out the order of the words is different Star Killer and Death Star. And with Star Killer, there is no space between Star and Killer. You don't know that from seeing the movie, but that's how I've seen it written about afterwards. So this Death Star, sorry, this Star Killer base, it can vaporize like five planets at once. And remember the old Death Star, that could only kill one planet at a time. Although I gotta say, the ability to vaporize five planets at once, I don't see it as really a leap beyond what the Death Star could do. I don't really see it as like an iPhone 4 to an iPhone 5. I see it maybe as a 5 to a 5S, you know? I don't think back in Death Star days, there was anyone going, people of Coruscant, we must give in to the Empire, for they have a weapon that can destroy our entire planet. Oh, wait, wait, I have an objection to that idea. It turns out they just destroyed Alderaan, and it might take them 20, 30 minutes to reload. Okay, let's forget about it. No, no one said that. Once there was a planet-destroying weapon, it was a planet-destroying weapon. Can you destroy five planets at once? All right, that's just multitasking, planet-destroying. And by the way, all these movies are billed as the most sweeping adventure stories ever told, right? They hit us right in the gut. George Lucas talked about the hero wearing a thousand faces, how primal these stories were. But think about the stories for the people of Alderaan or one of those planets that were vaporized by a Death Star. Here's how this story goes. One day we woke up and everyone and everything in the world died at once. The end. Please buy the figurines. This movie, and by the way, I gotta say, I love the movie. It was really cool, but man, was it flawed. Like C-3PO is a red arm. He says, I have a red arm, and he never mentions it again. What? I went on Twitter to figure this out? Wasn't, isn't this like a basic violation of how movies work? Was the red arm explanation cut out, but you leave that line in? No. It turns out, to find out why C-3PO has a red arm, you have to go out and buy a comic book that will be released after the movie. What? Well, I get, I get if you want to explain a plot detail that you can't get into in the movie, like, here's how Han met Chewie. Fine, I'd read that story. But using the biggest movie in the history of film to just have an Easter egg that's a non sequitur, it's kind of cheap, isn't it? So that was a spoiler, and I'm supposed to feel really bad that I'm telling you spoilers, because the sci-fi J.J. Abrams industrial complex has done a number on us, haven't they? We are so cowed into not giving details, into not spoiling. Oh, but the filmmakers, they could liberally lift plot, character, details, tone from Star Wars. It was good. Hell, I'm saying it was great. My kids and I loved it. But asking me not to spoil Star Wars by divulging such details as a, a guy in a dark mask using is mind control for evil. Isn't that just papering over your own inadequacies? Hey, listen, Smurfs 3 is coming out. No spoilers. Don't tell me if they're blue or not. You're going to ruin the movie. 
There is crazy amount of hype around the movie. Love the movie, love the movie, but the hype, anything associated with this movie, everything was so celebrated. So here's Oscar Isaac. He plays he plays a star pilot, a guy who's a rebel who plays by his own rules because he dabbles in the folk music scene of the 1960s. I might be confusing things. Anyway, here's Oscar Isaac playing guitar in a video posted on GQ. And then he busts out a little of uh, Bill Murray as Nick the Lounge Singer. Here's that part. GQ title is Oscar Isaac crushed it. He crushed it. Would GQ really get that many fewer hits to that link if they just titled it Oscar Isaac amuses via musical quotation or Oscar Isaac's sly reference to Bill Murray's Star Wars is quite delightful? I think that would do just as well, a little more accurate. No one crushed anything there except the people of Alderaan couple more items. All right. You got Lupita Nyong'o in this movie. Remember her? 12 Years a Slave. Great actress. I heard she was in the movie. I saw the movie. I said, where the hell was Lupita Nyong'o? She was this small, orange, 1,000-year-old alien bar owner who was entirely CGI'd. All right? You get the Academy Award winner for Best Supporting Actress from a couple years ago. You have her play a space muppet. Now, this would be like if in the original Star Wars, if Ingrid Bergman played Greedo. Right? Star Wars came out in 1977. 1975 Academy Award Best Supporting Actress was Ingrid Bergman. Put her in a rubber suit. We'll see if hand shoots her first. Hey, I don't know. For all we know, all the Ewoks in 1983's Return of the Jedi were actually the Best Actress nominees of two years prior. There was Katherine Hepburn, Diane Keaton, Marsha Mason, Susan Sarandon, and Meryl Streep. That was a good cast. And that's why the Ewoks were so damn effective, right? Meryl went totally method. She carried a spear and lived in a tree for three months. She hurt her hand rigging those two swinging pieces of lumber with Kate Hepburn. Oh, Obi-Wan, you're my Jedi Knight in shining armor. All right, last thing, last thing. I won't tell you how it ends. But remember, my thesis is that everything in this Star Wars was also in the original. So remember how in The Empire Strikes Back, the Empire regrouped, the main character who was full of the Force trained with a wiser Jedi on a remote planet. There was a climactic confrontation between the dark side and the light side as exemplified in the bloodlines of a single family. Yeah, that's 100% guaranteed what's going to go on in Episode Eight. But you just know that J.J. Abrams, that audience-satisfying genius, will throw in there all these other elements that we love. And I'm a sucker for him. And I was thinking, what else do I want to see in the next Star Wars? I know what I want to see. But um bum 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 at ats and tauntauns and warm womp rat strudel landos and banthas and that guy Cy snoodles he was the member of Jabba's band who sings they were a few of my favorite things Biggs Wedge and Porkins, Banthas and Greedo, Jawas and Wampas and Ewoks, Max Rebo, Mon Mothma Starfighters, A.E. and X-Wings. Those were a few of my favorite things. When the hut strike, Wookiee version! <laughs> when I'm feeling not great, I simply... <laughs> And then I don't feel...
That is it for today's show. Just producer Andrea Salenzi thought the least realistic part of The Force Awakens was the Empire's insistence on exhaust ports, knowing what we already know about exhaust port vulnerability. Executive producer Andy Bowers took issues where in that one scene, starfighter Nian Nyub referred to Grand Central Station. He actually meant Grand Central Terminal. Grand Central Station's the post office. Also, what do they have? A specially outfitted X-Wing for that guy? He's like two feet tall. Is, is it part of the Sullustin with Disabilities Act? The gist. We have a relationship to the political gab fest like BB-8 has with R2-D2. Although, they might say the better comparison is Jar Jar Binks. Oh, and one more thing. Will somebody get this walking carpet out of my way? That actually is a microaggression. Just want to point that out. And now, they might be giants with a song all year. Their dial-a-song number has been up. It's 844-387-6962. All year, we've been debuting the song that posts on their site. It's not their site. It's on their answering machine. It posts there on Tuesday. We've been playing it on Monday. This is the penultimate Monday for dial-a-song, isn't it? And so therefore we give you, they might be giants with, I love you for psychological reasons. Lately I've taken to vacantly making repetitive movements mistakenly seen as a